Brady turns, gives to Michelle on the left side. Now there cuts it go. back to the right, drives to the goal line, touchdown! Sony Michelle driving for six, and the Patriots need just one play after the turnover to take a nine, three leads. Set, looks, gets the shotgun snap, comes in chin high, looks to the right, fires to the left, looking for Edelman in the end zone, backpedaling, he's got it for the touchdown! Julian Edelman, the teardrop floating in from Tom Brady. Gets to Sony Michelle on the right side, into the end zone for the touchdown! And the Patriots extend the lead to 23-9. Off to the races, and Kareem Hunt will take it all the way in for a touchdown. What a stunning throw from Patrick Mahomes. 64 yards and a touchdown. Mahomes in the shotgun gets the snap waist high. Drops to throw, floats it to the right side, looking in the back right corner yep. of the end zone. It's Tyreek Hill, and he drops it in for six. Patrick Mahomes right over the shoulder of Tyreek Hill, and the Chiefs are two points from a tie, down 27-25 late in the third. A look at the 20, to the 25, has a hole at the 30. Smith at the right sideline to the 40, got a block in midfield. Smith at the 40, Smith at the 30, being chased at the 20, inside the 10 and down inside the 5. Only Devin McCourty saved a go-ahead touchdown on the kickoff return from Trayvon Smith. Mahomes will throw on third goal at the 1. Looking for Kareem Hunt, floats it into the end zone. It's over his head and sliding behind him is Tyreek Hill, who makes the catch. Brady out of the shotgun on third goal at the 4. Pumps, pressure comes. Brady in trouble, gets away. A flag down in the end zone. Brady will oh! run and dives into the end zone for the touchdown. Tom Brady breaking tackles and diving head first for six to give the Patriots a 36-33 lead. Mahomes off play action. Backside pressure comes, steps in the pocket, going deep. Wide open at the 40-yard line is Hill. Down the left sideline to the 30. Turns on the speed at the 20. Inside the 10. Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Bobbled snap, but he got it down, and the kick is good. We're tied I at told 40. You with 3.03 to play in the fourth. And Rob Gronkowski's 500th career reception sets up the Patriots with a first and goal for the win. The kick on the way from Goskowski, up and good. And from 28 yards away, Steven Goskowski wins the shootout for the New England Patriots. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you yes you in the game. <laughs> Woo! That was the those were the highlights of uh, maybe the game of the season, maybe even the game of the last three or four seasons. We brought it to you live on Sunday Night Football on Talksport, my friend Ollie Hunter and I, and we'll talk about that game later on in the show. We'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about the Gridiron Derby. Uh, between uh, between the Packers and the 49ers. Yep. Um, uh, we may touch on some Lev Bell as well. Plus, we've got loads of interviews and stuff to get to. But basically, because we're doing this on Wednesday instead of Monday or Tuesday, as per usual, we are going to keep it short and sweet. We'll talk about all the teams when we do a weekend preview in a couple of days' time. And we'll have Derwin James on that show as well. Um, just dropping that one in casually. You know, the guy who's going to be Defensive Rookie of the Year this year. Clang. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry, did I drop that name too hard? Yeah, yeah. Can uh, you drop it again? Who are we? Uh, sorry, sorry. Will you, who, is, who have we got later on in the week? We've got all American Derwin James, picked 17 overall in this year's NFL draft to the Los Angeles Chargers, soon to be the London Chargers, maybe. So we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about can the I Wembley just ask, game. Loads is, coming up. Can I just ask with Derwin? Is this one where you promise it and you never deliver? 
Oh, no, I've already done it. You've already done it. So this has actually happened. <laughs> What's Hold amazing? Up. Why have you already done it and I'm not involved again? Because you were uh, producing cricket coverage, so get over that, it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so the... Um, yeah, so we'll release the Derwin James interview with our weekend preview on Friday. That interview is done over the phone while he's in Cleveland. But on Friday when we release it, he'll be in London. So we couldn't guarantee we'd get the time with him when they were over. So we just did it over the phone. Uh, so Fair yeah. enough. Coming up, Wembley sale, Chargers, the Wembley game. From the locker room, you're going to hear from Chris Carson, from David Moore, from Nico Thorpe and from Jaron Reed. Uh, we'll, hear from, um, uh, we'll hear from Greg Rosenthal our usual Monday chat with him that's now become a thing. Uh, we'll also have <laughs> Curtis Crabtree on, who's a Seahawks beat writer, uh, to talk about Paul Allen's sad passing this weekend, the impact uh, on the team that that means. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll preview Thursday Night Football. Loads to cram in, Ollie. Superb. Let's start off with the Wembley sale, though, which has collapsed thanks to Shard Khan essentially seeing the, uh, the writing on the wall that there was no way that his vote was going to go through due to a bunch of old white men sat on the FA Council panel deciding that they didn't like the idea of it being bought out, that it was some kind of some kind of asset in air quotes. Um, you may have seen this or you may have not, Ollie, while you were producing this. No, I've I seen went, it. I, I went off a bit on one on Twitter about this whole thing. Um, and I asked people openly for genuine question, why, if you think that Shard Khan withdrawing from buying Wembley is a positive thing. What do you see of the benefits of the FA owning Wembley? Is there an NFL element that changes the opinion, your opinion about it? What are your concerns if Khan does purchase the stadium? And a few people came back to me with some reasoned arguments. Nobody came back to me specifically about the fact that it was NFL coming to the stadium was their big problem. Now, I've definitely heard that from some people, but it's... This is the one thing I would say is that I saw more xenophobia than I did annoyance about the National Football League. So that's good. What do you mean xenophobia? People who don't like the idea of the national the national stadium in air quotes, which of course wasn't owned by the FA until 1990 anyway. The yeah. national stadium being owned by an American. Um, I don't think the fact that he is a, a, an Asian American is an issue particularly. I think just the fact that it's a non-English person, a non-football person. But, I mean, I said this on Twitter. Having spoken to Shard Khan a few times, having seen interviews with him, having been in and around that team, having spoken to, you know, people who work with him day in, day out, all of that stuff, I am absolutely convinced that there would have been, even if, there doesn't, even if a team doesn't come to London, even if the Jags don't come to London, if there is a current billionaire in the sporting landscape who could buy Wembley, and utilise it in the right way and respect and honour the traditions that these England fans seem to think it needs to uphold and everything else combined, I can't think of somebody better than Shard Khan. And if you go onto his Twitter, not you, you've already done it, but you'll see the statements and the second statement, and he really reiterates his desire or, or his um, his want to for the national stadium in air quotes to retain some of its football and not to impinge on the history and the legacy and, and all of that and I, I think it is a, a narrow-minded backwards decision by the FA to to not see that this has gone through and I think it's a loss for English football as well because 
let's face it, when England go out on the road, they went to Leeds, play Costa Rica in the warm-up final, in the warm-up to the World Cup final. Marcus Rashford scored that amazing goal. They played Leicester. Uh, they played in Leicester uh, against Switzerland. Um, so I just think it's great when England go out on the road. It's it's brilliant, and the rest of England who can't or can't get down to to Wembley and kind of see the the national team, they get to see them in, in their own city. It's more representative of the nation. The idea of having a national stadium is so archaic. It's the British Isles and North Korea are probably the only countries in the world that actually have a national stadium. It's it's well it's balmy. It, there are only there are two countries uh, in the uh, in the kind of top fifty in the world, the, the big footballing nations who own their national stadium. It's us and France, and that's it. We are the only two. And France own their national stadium because it was built specifically for that 98 World Cup. That's why they own it. Otherwise, it wasn't a redevelopment of their old stadium or whatever like we did. Um, it, it just, that whole thing, that, like obviously this is an NFL podcast, so we'll talk about the NFL angle, but the football side of it, it's madness to me. Yeah. Uh, it is a missed opportunity. And the big thing is that if, they, if the FA turn around and realise that this is a millstone round their neck and that selling it is the better idea, and they go back to Shard Khan and say, uh, Mr Khan, are you still interested? He can quite easily turn around and go, yep, but the offer is now 400 million. And what are they going to do about it? Because they said there was going to be a bidding process. Nobody else came in for a bid at the price that he was offering for it. I don't think anyone else will come in at a bid for the price he's offering for it. So they could end up costing themselves money in the long run instead of clearing the debt, investing in grassroots football, and actually because of the supposed buyback clause, which stated... Um, and this is obviously reported, I haven't read the contract myself, but apparently the buyback clause was going to be that they could buy back the stadium for £100 million pounds mm-hmm. if it lost its elite international status, which it potentially could do if he stopped letting football be played there, etc. That just showed you that he was going to be a good custodian because he had to be. Otherwise, the FA get the national stadium back and they've made themselves a nice £500 million pounds for nothing. You know, just it was a win, 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 win situation that has now gone out the window. I just think it's balmy. Toby Gillies came down and saw me and whilst I was uh, tech hopping the cricket and he asked me, will this have any effect or impact on NFL UK and um, NFL Europe and, and whatnot, their desire to bring a franchise to London? I don't think it does. I, I think actually it means that you'd probably get four games at, uh, at Tottenham Stadium and four games at Wembley if, if it were ever to happen. Obviously, we're a long way away from that. But I just wanted your thoughts on whether it'll have any effect whatsoever on a franchise coming here or not. Yeah, funnily, first question I was asked on Twitter when I first tweeted about uh, that, the state, that the deal had collapsed. And um, you know, my belief is that there was no Wembley deal planned what, four months ago we first heard about this? Mm. And back then I was convinced that the FA are pushing for an NFL franchise in this country. Why would that have changed now four months later just because that deal isn't there anymore? Big winners in this, Daniel Levy and Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. Um, Daniel Levy actually, uh, it was reported uh, by Rob Harris that that Daniel Levy, who's a great reporter, by the way, um, that the... 
that, that Tottenham were opposing Shard Khan buying Wembley anyway, that Tottenham are represented on the FA Council, that they would vote against it and push for other people to do the same. Um, said that, uh, you know, despite being bailed out by the FA by let, to let them use Wembley while, uh, while they were waiting for the new venue at White Hart Lane to be finished. So Daniel Levy and Spurs potentially winning this. Do I? The question is: Is do I think there will be a team playing on at least a semi-permanent basis in the UK in the next five to ten years? Yeah, absolutely. But will it be a case of like, if it's Jacksonville, could it be four games in Jacksonville, four games in London? Could it be, you know, uh, some kind of division of that of that nature? I do think that's a possibility. But what's really fascinating is that it, the same day, the same. Uh, we also had news on the same day, and this is. Um, this is something that we've talked about before, and, and I know I heard them talk about it on the Around the NFL podcast, the possibility of the Chargers coming to London. Um, I'm claiming that for myself, by the way, because over beers, I was pushing that agenda quite hard when I was drunk. Well, do you know who else? The first person I heard <laughs> push that agenda, I'm not going to name him here, but he's a guy that you and I love, and we've met ooh, quite a few times at the Super Bowl on Radio Row and in person here in London. A future Hall of Famer. That's all I'm saying. Is it Sam Farmer? <laughs> I'm trying to think. It's, it's a future Hall of Famer. Okay, so a player. Yeah. Ah. The, the first time I heard of this, he mentioned this, and I thought, yeah, I 100% get it. And this was ooh, maybe two years ago. A current player? Nope, former player. Ah, I think I know who you mean. Yeah, but I'm not sure... We should say his name. <laughs> That's right. what I'm saying. Well, I'll, 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 I'll go one further and say he shares his initials with the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, right. AR. Uh, <laughs> very good. <laughs> I tee him up, you knock him out the park. Um, but Seth Wickersham tweeted, who again, great reporter for ESPN today, a major discuss- discussion topic, discussion topic, among NFL owners executive at this week's leagues meetings is the Chargers' viability in LA. PSL sales have been a massive struggle and the team is expected to revise its Inglewood revenue goals number sharply from $400 million per year to $150 million per year. Wow. That is a staggering drop-off. We're talking about a, what, 62, 61% drop-off in the difference of what they were originally believing their revenue would be at Inglewood. I mean, how empty is that stadium going to be, are they claiming? Or are they going to have to sell tickets at, you know, $10 a pop to fill it up? And this is all about Chargers team who, you know, despite having two losses on the season, which were to the Chiefs and the Rams, we can hardly say, like, are a bad team. They're a good team. They, they could very much be a playoff team this year. This is amazing that that... that that potential to have two teams sustainable in LA looks that unlikely. And so there's the possibility of the Chargers coming here. Oh, the baby blues. Oh, the powder blues. Oh, being played at Tottenham. Amazing. But one thing that's been floated, which would be just incredible, mm. is because of Shard Khan's links to London and the Jags' links to London as an organisation, that we could get the London Jaguars yep. uh, and the Jacksonville Chargers. Oh. Wow. Because Spanos et al. wouldn't want to take their franchise out of America, but they might be willing to switch coasts. That's I amazing. Just, <laughs> just, you know, there'd have to be a reshuffling of divisions. They'd have to be... I would, I, the, the, just, 
if you don't believe in the NFL's desire to have NFL in the UK, the possibility of the Chargers either switching coasts or coming from the West Coast to London so the divisions would have to be moved, that should be proof more than any other. I 100% agree. I, that's, that is amazing. And it, it would be incredible that happened. It'd be incredible if we got a team, regardless of who it is. I, it's just, I, I'm staggered that the NFL didn't foresee that the Chargers wouldn't stick in LA. LA is a, is a Raiders and Rams town. And we, I saw that when I went there and, and saw a game in the Coliseum, saw the Rams play the Dolphins in at the Coliseum. There were more Raiders shirts than almost than, than Rams fans, Rams shirts. And LA couldn't sustain one football team. That's why the Raiders moved to Oakland and then back to LA and then back out to Oakland again. They, they couldn't sustain one, let alone two. And the fact that the Rams now look like they have a really good football team, that poster boy quarterback and running back and the defense is great and the and the head coach is, is doing interesting things and playing well. LA, LA uh, people, LA, what are they called? LA uh, sites, I don't know. They're, they're now... Los Angeles. Los Angeles, you're 100% right. Los Angeles are now returning to the Rams, but... Who's going to go and watch the Chargers in a soccer ta- stadium or uh, the Chargers in a stadium they share with a, a far superior and more interesting team? It's totally different to um, what's going on in New York where the fan bases were already there and have been there long standing and you do have that rivalry and that friendship. It, it, it's totally manufactured manufactured in L.A. I know it would be manufactured if it came to London or, or into Jacksonville, but... It just seems like a, it, that seems better. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm with you. I am 100% with you. Um, I'm excited to go and see the Chargers in a soccer stadium oh, in America, by the way. Because we're going with touchdown trips. Get your trip to America with touchdown trips. It sounds cheesy, but genuinely, Ben is the best. So yeah, truly he's the is. guy to use. Um, right, let's turn our attention to... We've talked Wembley a lot already, but let's turn our attention to Wembley this past weekend because we were there for the Oakland Raiders being decimated by the Seattle Seahawks 27 to 3 um look I, I what there is to be said about that performance from a, a performance perspective is that uh, if i was doing weekly power rankings based on that performance the raiders would be 32 on my weekly power rankings yep agree they, they look in utter disarray they don't push the ball downfield short passes they are the kings of the third and long one-yard dump-off, and I thought that was Eli Manning who was that. Um, I, but I think Derek Carr's a more accomplished quarterback than that. I th- the Bringing in Tom Cable seems to have ruined an offensive line, which still has a lot of pieces that were very good two years ago. Um, John Gruden appears to not be like a headless chicken on the sideline, not knowing what to do. The defense couldn't read basic stuff. They were the first six third downs the Seahawks had they went five for six on them and I think a touchdown was on third down as well and on every single one of them they ran and I think I talked to Greg Rosenthal about this but they basically ran the same play two receivers either side running back in the backfield the running back would split out wide so they had an empty backfield that would give them a mismatch on that side of the field and they'd exploit that mismatch and the defense didn't react to it once in six attempts it was Utterly ludicrous. It was terrible. And it made the Seahawks look like the Seahawks team of old. It made them look like the Legion of Boom kind of greatness team. 
Yeah, it did. It made them look really good. And I don't think they played particularly well. It's just the Raiders were that bad. And everybody's seen it. Well, they saw the first hour of it before it switched onto the BBC Red button. Ludicrous decision, by the way. Um, But you noticed something quite interesting with Derek Carr and John Gruden when Derek Carr went off the field. I can't remember whether it was for an injury or a a failed series. And. it, it, it turned out that Derek Carr apparently had a left shoulder injury going into the game and he was hit. He was sacked six times. He was actually sacked eight times, but two of those negated for penalties, hit a bunch more times. And on the sixth sack of the day, he came off clutching his arm and he, he didn't look in a good way. And he took his helmet off and he went over to Gruden and they got into it wasn't a heated discussion, but it was a very in-depth discussion where... Derek Carr was putting his point across pretty vehemently to Gruden as much as he was getting it back in the other direction. And he looked like a man who wasn't happy with how things were going that day. Understandably so, they were down 24 points and had only scored three points. They were not playing well. So you get why he was annoyed. I just think uh, there wasn't enough time for us to do both locker rooms after the game. We just went to see the Seahawks um, to get some interviews there. But uh, yeah, I... I, I think it's a, a shambles. If, if Oakland are going to be a good team under John Gruden, it's not going to happen for two or three years. They don't, They are talent poor and lacking direction. Yeah, absolutely dreadful on every side of the ball. And I, I mentioned it to Sammy, the extra time producer who came with us. Um, and I, I, I told him, look, they've traded away their best defender. They're, they traded away... Their best player, their best, yeah, they they let go their best player on special teams in Marquette King. They got rid of Sebastian Janikowski, who uh, they missed a they missed a field goal in the first half. I know it wouldn't have made much difference, but it's still those points on the board. So they get rid of kind of the a lot of the spine and the stalwarts of their team and don't replace them. It's or, just or, or replace them with. Aging, not very good veterans. They're bringing players like uh, Doug Martin for decent money. When you're just like, what was that all about? I, just the whole thing. You know, we've given the Raiders enough time. Let's hear from the Seahawks in the locker yeah. room. I think there's reason to be positive with the Seahawks, but they have got after the Lions on the road, which is kind of coin flippy at the moment. Maybe a Seahawks favourite. They've then got the Chargers, the Rams, the Packers, Panthers. All in a row. So we're going to see what the Seahawks team are pretty quickly over the next five or six weeks after their bye. But let's go into the locker room. Should we start on offense or defense, Ollie? Let's start with defense and a particular player that you have uh, you have developed quite a relationship with. So we're going to hear from people in this order. Then Nico Thorpe, Jaron Reed. And then David, Chris Carson, then David Moore. Those two in one order. I'm just going to play them all out because you introduce them all as we chat to them. But we'll start off with Nico Thorpe, who, uh, you know, I'm genuinely touched he had any clue who I was after our conversation back in the summer. Really? <laughs> What's up, Will? Hey, Nico. What's up, bro? It's my dog right here. You know me, Will? It's our season. Yeah, there you go. I yeah, mean, you remember that? Yeah, okay, I'm glad you remember it. It's, uh, normally you get that kind of churn through of press people. and nah, so man. I'm touched, Nico, I really am. Hell yeah, <laughs> what you think about the game? Oh, you- uh, well, I thought that you guys, thanks to your uh, defensive line, had a, a nice job today. You know what, car throw over 15 yards once, did it? Come on, Will, you know where it started, man. It started up front, in them trenches, man. I, hey, just like you said, those guys, they, they did their part. Frank Clark 
disrespected in this league? Not when he's talked about as though one of those best defensive ends? Hey, he took the words right out of my mouth, man. Frank Clark, he's a beast. You know, he's a humble guy. He don't say a lot, he just do it, you know. And I love the way, it's pl the way, the way he play. plays with his heart. You know, I'm just thankful to be his teammate, man. You know, you you want a lot of teammates like that. We, we talked in the offseason about you getting that chance to step up into the starting corner role with guys leaving, and it, and it feels like tonight was a bit of a prove-it game, a chance to show people what you guys are. Hey, look, yeah, hey. Uh, Trey is all right, you know, Trey went down, well, with cramps or uh, whatever, but hey, like you said, I got my chance. You know, I just want to do my part, man. You know, I've been, I've been practicing hard at this stuff. So once, you know, once my opportunity come, I'm going to just beat me, bro. And, you know, I thank God I did good today. Another out come up, I'm, 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 I'm approaching the same way. It's amazing because you can't help but put in a good defensive performance without people suddenly going, well, how do they compare with the Legion of Boom? How do they compare with that defense? But Bradley was saying there is a sense of that there's a legacy to protect there in terms of Seahawks defenses are meant to be great now. mentality, you know what I'm saying? Like Legion of Boom. You know, we, it's still L.O.B. Love our brother, you know, and we play for our brothers. And if we do that, we'll be all right. It felt like you guys approached the trip to London the right way as well. With the Raiders, we were there on Friday. They flew in later. There was a real kind of atmosphere they didn't want to be here. Whereas right from Thursday onwards, you guys seem to approach this trip the right way. It's the next trip, man. Anyway, no matter where you at, it's the next game. You know, Pete. One of the best in the game doing it, man. We just follow, we just follow his lead. It's like he got off. You call him Pete, not Coach Carroll. Pete. You look, Pete. That's my guy right there. I love Pete, man. But he definitely has the plan. We're bought in, you know. He said we're gonna come over Wednesday. We're coming over Wednesday, and he had, you know, great uh, hotel for us. Great practice field, locker room set. You know, kind of some. We got our loss, our own little home feeling and you know in that hotel because we know we came out here as a business trip so and, and I think for me as well the performance against the Rams was so good and so near but so far and yeah. I, I don't want to raise a bad memory on a day where you're enjoying a win but three and three going into that bye now bit of momentum there this this team could prove a lot of people wrong nah for sure you know hey just play back that interview you know what I'm saying in a couple <laughs> weeks man I try to tell them but for sure, man. I feel like we we went, we going into this bye week the way we want to go into it, and I feel like we're gonna approach the next week like we like we will, cause you know we'll be a little fresher, you know, getting a little rest. But the work don't stop. The lead says stop, but you know we all we all hungry, man. We we all will be in there getting at it for sure. Trust me. I'm glad you had a good trip over, man. It was good to see. First of all, you know, they started off this franchise, you feel me? Like, that's a household name. That will never go anywhere. And we're not trying to, you know, knock it out. You know, LOB, that's, that's household. That's what they need. But it's a new group of guys, and we're trying to bring the same thing, especially back home to Seattle for the 12s. Great day for you today. Recovering that fumble early on was a real turning point in the game. Uh, yes, sir. You know, we got to capitalize on turnovers, man. The ball's right there. It slipped out, buddy. Hand, I seen it. It jumped on it, you know. We had to get it for the boys, get the offense back to the ball. Nico was over here in the summer and there was a lot of talk about whether or not maybe the Seahawks were getting disrespected because you lost so many pieces this year on defense. Do you think today proved something? Uh, you know, I hope each and every week proved something. You know, everybody did doubt us in the beginning. You know, they probably still doubt us, but that's all right. We are facing each other, like I said. We're going to grind hard every week. feels like the Raiders came over 
nowhere near as prepared as you guys. You came an extra day and even way back on Thursday, felt like you guys were enjoying the trip. You came out, you were having fun and you kind of seem to approach London in the right way. Yeah, you know, we still knew it was a business trail. You know, we still know we had a game to play. Uh, when we had our free time, we enjoyed what we could. But, you know, first and foremost, we were focused on the game. And when you consider what's happened, you know, the 49ers falling off, the Cardinals not looking good, are you still a team that can be a, a playoff contender this year? Oh, yes, sir, absolutely. And whoever doubts us will keep doubting us. You know, we, we're here to prove everybody wrong. Darren, just tell me a little bit about Frank Clark, because what a day he had today. That's my dog right there. You know what I'm saying? He don't get the respect he deserves around this league. He's one of the best DNs in this league, period. I mean, what he got to do every week? He need more recognition, man. That's my dog, and he play hard, for real. What were the gaps like in there when you were trying to get to car? What you know? How did it look? What was the pocket like? Uh, it was mushy. It was a lot of big people around there. You know, they made it pretty tough. You know, we just had to keep pushing the pocket, keep on going. About this game that made your pass rush so successful, did you guys start to gel, or is there something specific? Oh, uh, we've been gelling. We just had to get back to what we're doing. You know, that's how we need to play every week. You know, it was nothing different. You work on anything new this week in particular in preparation for this game? Nope. Do the same thing every week. We go hard. We work hard. You know, you're gonna get the outcome that you need every week if you grind hard. Joined uh, by Seattle Seahawks running back Chris Carson. What a great win for you guys. Yeah, it was amazing uh, coming all the way out here. Um, I love the atmosphere. I love the people out here. It was, it, was, it was a fun time. Did it feel like a home game? I know the, the, the Raiders are meant to be the home team, but it felt like there were far more Hawks fans in there. Exactly. That's, uh, it felt like a home game for us. Uh, it just shows how, how great the support system is for the Seahawks. Um, it made the game a lot more fun and more, um, you know what I'm saying, just more, give us more energy on the sideline. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Talk to me about how you feel your game went. There's some big runs in there, and alongside Mike Davis and uh, and Rashad Penny as well, the three of you seem like you're, you're keeping each other fresh by taking a bit of time off during the game as well. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. We got a great, we got a great uh, stable running back, so each guy can come in and rotate and not not lose a beat. So that's big for us to come down later in the season. You know what I mean? Having all of us fresh. And so it just makes our job a lot easier, a lot fun, especially when the guys up front blocking the way they are, um, giving us a whole bunch of lanes to run through. So they deserve all the credit. But, uh, you know, it's just great to have so many great running backs. That's what I was going to ask you about those guys up front. They had a really great game, keeping not only uh, Russell upright, but also those holes for you guys too. Yeah, I mean, they, they deserve all the credit. Like I said, they don't get the credit that they deserve each and, each and every week. Um, they, just, they do an amazing job. And each and every week they go in and they uh, try to correct the mistakes that they make and they don't make the same mistakes, and then it just makes our job a lot easier to run. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy to have, have them as our own line. And also, look, I, I, the, the fact that you guys are so, you're, you're so good on the ground means that Russell can then make those big plays to Big Dougie B and uh, David Moore to your side there and Tyler Lockett. Those guys through the air also had a pretty good game, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the whole thing. And it's something that you didn't really see too much of last year. Um, you know, establishing a running game makes it a lot easier on Russ to, to throw the deep balls and get the big plays in the passing game. And so, um, as you've seen like today, you know, receivers like Lockett, uh, Brown, uh, David Moore, they got to, you know, get in the end zone just because the running game was established and uh, the defense had to respect both. And just a, a quick word on the defense, keeping them to three points and – for a moment, we all thought it was going to be a shutout. That must be quite annoying, but the defense played their part as well. Yeah, most definitely, man. They did a great job today uh, with the turnovers, the sacks, 
Oh, man, they were just flying around. They gave us so much energy and so much juice for the offense because we know that, you know, with them doing, making their plays, we wanted to make the plays as well. So, um, you know, all the credit goes to them giving us the ball, you know, a good field position and everything like that. So, you know, it was a great game for the both sides. And uh, I presume you're flying, you're flying back tonight or tomorrow. That plane's going to be so much more, that plane ride is going to be so much more sweeter now that you're going back as a winner in London. Yeah, exactly. But for the most part, I know I'm going to be asleep the whole time. So <laughs> uh, I, won't, I won't know what everybody's going to be doing. Cause, you know, like I said, I won't be asleep. But, you know, it makes it so much easier to sleep just because we got the win. You guys really needed this win as well. To I know it played well and, and, and did well last week as well, but it really does kick kick start. You, you, the the, uh, the Rams are still within touching touching distance as well. So it, it was important to get this win and hopefully make those playoffs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every win is important. Um, it's a long season, so we know we got to keep improving each and every week. Uh, we learned from our mistakes last week. Uh, we got going this week, learn from our mistakes this week, and just keep it, keep getting better each and every week. And, you know, like I said, it's a long season. And good luck for it. Right, so I'm joined by David Moore, Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, touchdown scorer in a foreign country. I mean, how does that feel? Man, it felt great. Uh, not the ending what I wanted. I didn't want to flip. I wanted to do a little celebration, but it didn't happen. So it felt great, though. Do you have a celebration in mind, or would something just come to you and you would have done it? Well, we've been practicing celebrations, us and some of the wide receivers, and then I was just going to do a little slide for London, you know? Like, you know, soccer, man, that's what y'all love out here, so I was going to try to get a little slide in. Let me have a look at them toes. Those toes, <laughs> man, you kept them down. That was, that, was, uh, that was some good moves. That's just something that we always practice, man. Coaches always... He stays on us with that, man. We practice that every day, the little toe tap, and we practice it pregame, so it, just come, it becomes natural at the end of the day. When did you know the ball was coming to you? Because Russell had to step up. He had to avoid a few, a few tacklers, but then that ball perfectly placed for you. When did you feel that it was coming to you? When I seen him step up, and we kind of looked at each other eye to eye, I was just like, okay, here it comes. And he put it in the right spot, man, and the result says for itself. So, so, sorry, on the field, you looked at each other and you were like, this is coming my way. Yeah, I, I knew I had to turn up because it looked like he was scrambling. So as soon as I turned up and looked back and we looked at each other, I'd seen the ball coming out. I was like, all right, well, here it is. A word on the crowd. It felt like a Seattle Seahawks home game rather than an Oakland Raiders home game. How did it feel when, one, you heard that cheer for your touchdown and, and the rest of the game as well? It felt great, man. Like, we came out here, the weather makes it feel like it's Seattle anyway and then with the crowd yelling and everything saying Seahawks and this and Seahawks and that and it just keeps us man it just keeps us going man it keeps us live and we just want to have fun and make the crowd happy and playoffs is that the uh, is that the expectation this win get you back on the getting a big win on the road going back to CenturyLink soon as well it's just things are starting to come together it's a long season man but it is great to see our team starting to do great, do our thing, and uh, keep it rolling and finding ourselves, finding what we truly are, who we truly are. But at the end of the day, man, we're going to take it game by game, and hopefully we finish out the season. It's a long season, so we just got to keep doing what we're doing and getting better and better every week. And a word on old man Dougie B. He's come back. He had some big catches today. How, how supportive has he been as an older statesman to a younger guy like yourself in the locker room? 
Doug is like my big brother, man. He teaches me literally dang near everything that I've done, been doing, and he keeps me going, man. He keeps me pushing, and if I slack off, man, he's right on my ass. So just him being around, his presence, playing or not playing, all everybody just want to make him proud because they know how much he loves the game and how much he wants to do for the team. So we just try to do the same for him, and it's always about looking for the, looking at the looking after the brother next to you and just doing what you can do for him and just keep moving. Mr. Man, thanks very much for, for talking to me and uh, have a good season. All right, thank you. Cheers. <laughs> I like that, cheers. <laughs> Hello, Gabby Logan here and I'm pitch side at Welland FC where Suki and his mate Simon have arranged a kickabout to fundraise for sport relief. It's 11.47 on a Sunday. I think some of these players are a little worse for wear. But they're here, they've got their kit on, they're kicking against injustice and smashing poverty right out the box. They're still 2-0 down, though. Oh, but would you look at that goal! You can help change the world, too. Just order your free fundraising pack at sportrelief.com. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. Seattle Seahawks locker room in pretty good voice, Ollie. Um, obviously, they then fly home, get off the plane to the to the incredibly sad news mm. that Paul Allen, at the age of sixty five, died from complications with non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, we're going to hear from Curtis Crabtree, who's a local Seahawks reporter. But you know, I asked him about it, and I think he was probably still in the moment wanting to talk about what, what he offered the team and etc. But I really want to put across to people who don't realise how important Paul Allen, the the co-founder of Microsoft, also the owner of the Portland Trailblazers, was to the Seattle Seahawks. Because the previous owner, Ken Beringer, wanted to move the team to L.A. And you'll hear the story from Curtis Crabtree. They actually moved the offices to L.A. And then the league told them to move back. We've not signed off on this yet after the Raiders left. Paul Allen built that beautiful new stadium, kept the team there, brought in the coaches and completely turned around that franchise from they were a bit of a joke in the 80s and 90s into a bit of a powerhouse, a a, a top tier playoff stalwart. And so let's hear from Curtis Crabtree speaking on that. But yeah, this is uh, Curtis Crabtree, local beat reporter on Paul Allen's impact with the Seattle Seahawks. He had put out a message. I think it was almost. I think it was two weeks ago exactly that his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma had returned. Um, at the time, the, the statement that they released was that you know his doctors were confident that this could be uh, resolved um, positively as well. But apparently, that that was not the case. Obviously, with the news today that he is uh, no longer here. So. Um, yeah, I, I think in that regard, I, you can't completely be caught, caught off guard by it, but it certainly didn't appear to be as dire a situation when, when he put out the statement that the cancer had returned, as it obviously was. Um, that being said, uh, at a press conference a couple weeks ago, they made some changes to the, the running of the Seahawks franchise. They installed uh, Chuck Armstrong as the new team president. Um, they made Chris Mc, uh, McGowan the kind of head of Vulcan Sports, which is the arm that Paul Allen um, has to run both the, the Seahawks and Portland Trailblazers entity. And, you know, in retrospect, you could potentially look at those moves as maybe being a getting an affairs in order sort of thing. Um, 
you know, but it's tough to have known that at the time, obviously. So, uh, but still a little bit of a surprise for sure. It's a, he's an inch. He was interesting character, Paul Allen, because uh, as I heard it put earlier, you know, that being the co-founder of Microsoft, if you're the richest of, of 32 of the richest men in the world that own NFL franchises, you're someone who's going to hold a lot of power in those rooms, in those owners meetings. But from all from all reports, quite a quiet man, someone who when he did talk, people really listened. And, you know, hardly when it comes to somebody who, who is the front forefront of a, of a team as, as big as the Seahawks have been in the last 10 years or so, you know, not in that same kind of Jerry Jones mold where he puts himself very much front and center, someone happy to, to let the coach and the players do that. So, so not necessarily someone we always knew a huge amount about, but somebody who was so important to the, the Pacific Northwest and sport in that area. Yeah. I mean, just to, to kind of illustrate that a little bit, I've covered the Seahawks team now for, uh, this is my 11th season. I've covered them. And the number of times I've spoken words to Paul Allen is probably counted on one hand. Um, you know, he'd be around practices and such, but he wasn't somebody that would ever speak with us at any bit regularly whatsoever. I think the only time I interviewed him at all was in the locker room after their Super Bowl victory in New York in 2013. So, um, you know, he, he was definitely, and when it comes to the owners, he was definitely a more um, absentee, not not absentee, but not he, he would not be the one that attended most of the owners' meetings. He would have a representative, and Peter McLaughlin, who was the prior team president, be the one who represented him at such functions. And Todd Lywicki before that. Um, but you know, when serious stuff was on the table, um, like when they were going through you know CBA discussions uh, back in 2011, he would show up, and his voice was you know, had carried some weight to it because that's when he did decide to, to be be there and have his voice be heard. So um, definitely at the different end of the spectrum from Jerry Jones, though, there's no doubt about it. Jerry Jones gives press conferences after every game. Um, and like I said, I, you know, I may have talked to Paul Allen, you know, two or three times in 11 years. So just a different way about going, a different way of going about things. And when you consider that, you know, with a head coach like Pete Carroll and, and the freedom that team have had to to speak their minds, maybe exactly the right sort of man to, to be running that, that franchise at, at the very top. And it's fascinating to me because the NFL has grown exponentially here in, in the UK over the 10 years since they started bringing games here. It was it was always had a, a, a kind of hardcore small fan base, but it's grown and grown and grown in that time. And, and the Seahawks are, are incredibly popular over here thanks to their success in that time. You mentioned that Super Bowl win in New York and the, the between that and the appearance then again the following year and I can't imagine this last 10 years without a Seahawks team, but actually there was a point in the mid-90s with Ken Baring where there was a, a lot of discussion of moving the team to California and, and Paul Allen coming in and getting involved was probably a big part of them staying in Seattle. Well, the team did actually move. Like, they loaded up moving trucks and went down to you know Southern California, down to Orange County, moved their entire business operation down there for a stretch before the NFL was like, no, 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 you're, you're not doing that. Um, and so that was definitely a part of it. Um, Ken Baring was the owner at the time. When the Raiders vacated the market, he wanted to try to get the Seahawks there. The franchise had come off a... 2-14 season in 1992, had been in a little bit of a rut for for a while, um, you know, hadn't made the playoffs in a few seasons. Um, and 
Paul Allen was able to come along, get a stadium um, venture organized to get to get the new stadium built in Seattle here at the end of the the you know right at the start of the the new millennium and um, get the team set up for a place to play long term and bought the uh, bought the team and obviously the run of success that they've had under his his ownership has been unprecedented in the franchise's history. You had Pete Carroll get you know I think it was win number fifty one uh, or ninety one. Um, you know, yesterday over there, which uh, enabled him to pass Mike Holmgren to become the franchise leader in wins all time. And Holmgren was the other coach that was here under um, Paul Allen for any significant stretch. So, uh, and then when they transitioned from Mike Holmgren to, to Jim Mora and realized pretty quickly that that wasn't going the way that they wanted it to go, um, you know, decided to heck with it. We're going to move on from Jim Moore. We'll pay off his contract and, and go get Pete Carroll and have him come in here. So, yeah, in addition to keeping the franchise in town altogether, the moves he's made in running the team, even if he hasn't been uh, hands-on, he's let the, the football people do the football stuff. Um, it's all worked pretty uh pretty well for the franchise there's no questioning it well i i'm dead excited to make my way to seattle i'm actually i've never been to to century link and we're going to be there for, for thursday night football against the packers in just a few weeks time so i, I can't I, like can't wait to experience that legendary atmosphere and, and i'm sure that actually now we're going to end up probably writing about and discussing paul allen uh, while we're there so I, I imagine there's going to be some some fond memories and and obviously it's you know, the legacy that's now been created, the Seahawks are seen as an absolute powerhouse. For sure. And, you know, the the tradition that they have of raising the 12th man flag before every game that they have here, um, there's only been one person that's done it before conference championship games. The three times that they've been in the NFC championship game and hosted that game at home, Paul Allen has been the one that raised the flag in each of those three instances, and they won each of those three games to go to the Super Bowl. And so... That's you know kind of speaks to you know he 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 would show up in the big times and be and be that that presence there when they needed him to and certainly he had relationships with the players and all that just because he didn't talk to the media in twelve years doesn't mean he wasn't in the building get, having relationships with those players and such but um, you know he is very he was very much a weighty personality that when he showed up it was kind of a big deal and he would always go with the team on the road and those sorts of things so um he was always around um and you know that sort of symbolism of the the flag raising and him being the one that would do that is now something that you know kind of speaks to his absence you know that's something he's not going to be able to do anymore so um it's certainly a big loss for the franchise all right ollie um i was just trying to rattle through now because we're going obviously incredibly long as always I'm not even sure if you're there anymore. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Just been talking to myself for a while. Um, I'm trying to think what I talked about with Greg. I don't know if we need to play Greg Rosenthal in this show. Shall I put it in? I mean, you could you could put it in. You don't have to put it in. I let's, mean, put, let, put it in. Why not put it in? Let's whack it in. Greg Rosenthal chatting to me on TalkSport. Doing great. Usually I'm you know, taking a walk when you call, but this uh, 49ers-Packers game is so intriguing. I'm, I'm just going to take a risk and stay in my house and hope my kids don't run in well, it's the uh, it's the sun it's the Sunday night football talksport derby, of course. This uh, the big rivalry game, the Ollie Hunter versus Will Gavin game, uh, and uh, yeah, so far not going the way I expected. That's for sure. 
No, but you have to be enjoying it as the uh, 49ers just go for another big Raheem Mostert run. I think they're over 200 yards rushing. They're, the offense is putting it on the Packers. I, I love it when when I'm surprised for a primetime game that looked like it was going to be a dud. Uh, which was the exact opposite of yesterday because we had one of those brilliant occasions where a primetime game, which on paper was brilliant, actually turns out to be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it it had everything. I mean, you know, the narratives of kind of Patrick Mahomes being, you know, the next big thing and, and having that sort of shootout helps you know that you'll remember it, I think, 10 years from now. But I, I'm excited just as a fan of football. These are two teams that, are more creative and are kind of pushing the game further offensively than I think any other uh, this decade and certainly this year. And to see them go at it like that uh, is a lot of fun. And, and I, I just think there's going to be more 43 to 40 games in our future, whether whether you Brits like, like it or not. Well, that's the... Uh, I did say earlier on the show that I do like a nice attritional, low-scoring, defensive game, but... I, I generally get you know looked at like I'm, I'm mad when I say things like that, but it, that is the the stat is that that's the third game this season of where both teams have scored forty plus points. When in the previous couple of years we'd only had two such games, what do you put down this this sudden huge spike in offense to? That the the pro coaches are starting to meet the college game halfway, so instead of hearing about that. Oh, the you know the college football you know doesn't prepare quarterbacks to play the way we like to play in the NFL. The NFL realized that the creative, the concepts that they're using can be adapted, and the college game is very much an offensive spread you out game. And for whatever reason, the rule changes as well. I, I think it's just tough for defensive coaches to keep up with with all the innovations and and the just insanely pass-happy approach. I think it's kind of like in the NBA in our basketball where where people realize that it's fine to just take 20, 25 three-pointers a game. I think NFL coaches have realized it's okay to just throw the ball 50 times a game. It actually helps your chances to win. <laughs> we saw, I mean, the game we saw in London uh, last night, whilst, as I said, not a classic, uh, the Seahawks running out 27-3 to winners over the Oakland Raiders, but uh, on third down in, in the first two, two and a half quarters, the, the Seahawks went, I think, five for six on their first six third downs. And on every single one of them, they essentially ran the same play. Two wide receivers either side, a back in the backfield, who then split to one side of the formation, and then they threw to that side of the formation. And they did it every single time, and the Raiders just had no answer for it. They got mismatches every time. And you just thought, they're making this look stupidly easy. Yeah, it's the, those are two teams that are not in the in the current 2018 boom of spread you out, and they're you know the Seahawks or Raiders are two teams that are old school, but the Seahawks are doing it in a way that that's working for them, and the Raiders are decidedly not. And I and I swear I I get this feeling every time during these London games. Why can't I don't know what it is. Why can't we send you a good one? Like most of these of our games are competitive, and you always get these one sided games. And uh, I'm hopeful, especially uh, with these next two, that that you'll get a little luckier. Well, I'm not going to lie. I was very excited about this this 
game coming this weekend uh, between the Titans and the Chargers. I, I like the Chargers a lot. Disappointing we're not getting uh, Joey Bosa, but um, we're actually, I'm speaking with Derwin James on Wednesday before they fly out here and very excited to see him in action. But the, just as we're thinking... These are two teams who have had up and down starts to the year, but could be really evenly matched, could be really exciting. Uh, the Titans go and, and put up the performance they did against Baltimore this past weekend and are now turning up on a real downer. Yeah, they are, but they're 3-3, three and three and they've beaten three good teams. And so, it, you know, it's such a cliche, but you, you just don't know who's, how they're going to show up in any given week. And the Chargers, on the other hand, are playing their best ball. And, and someone like myself who has been kind of pegging them as a, a Super Bowl contender for years and being wrong year after year, I'm starting to lo- love the way that this team is looking. Uh, their backfield with Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon right now, I think, is the best in, in football, the way they use them in the passing game and the running game. So the Titans will have their, their hands full the way the Chargers are playing right now. I, I like the Chargers a lot in that game. Uh, the, um, the the kind of big story in the NFL tonight, we mentioned the Seahawks obviously coming over here and having some success. We're going to be speaking with with a local reporter coming up shortly to get more of an idea of the impact of, of the Seattle Seahawks owner, Paul Allen, who, who passed away uh, at the age of 65 in, in the last day or so. But this has had quite a, this is obviously quite a, a huge deal to have a current owner uh, pass away at such a young age and, and I'm sure is, is making... Yeah, we're seeing a huge reaction from the whole NFL world. Yeah, he was really respected. Um, First, for keeping the Seahawks, you know, in Seattle, just from an NFL perspective. Uh, Also owns the the Portland Trailblazers in the NBA. Um, And it's, you know, it's it's rare a man has such an impact that that's a very minor part of his resume after co-founding, you know, Microsoft with with Bill Gates and, and really everyone around the Seahawks that I know that, that knew him personally, always just knew him as a, as a very kind, kind guy and uh, a guy at the owner's meetings who would very often not say much. I mean, when you're the richest guy in the room by far among 32 NFL owners, that is saying something uh, and maybe the smartest uh, person in the room by far among NFL owners. And he wouldn't talk a lot, but, but when he did uh, everyone leaned in and, and listened a little extra because Oh, he's just kind of a, a giant of, of America in general, not just the NFL. And, and yeah, and like you say, keeping the team there in in Seattle. I mean, we're heading out there in a, in a few weeks' time, and we're getting to that Seahawks Packers um, Thursday night football game, which I'm incredibly excited about. But you know, the idea of the last seven or eight years of football without the Seattle Seahawks in it, without the mm-hmm. Legion of Boom, without those couple of great Super Bowl runs. I mean. It does. It doesn't really bear thinking. They've been so big over here. I mean, it was like a genuinely like a Seahawks home game at Wembley yesterday. The atmosphere was incredible. But it's because their fan base has grown massively as the sport's grown here, and he has such a huge part to do with that. So, like I say, we'll be talking with um, Curtis Crabtree from KJR Sports coming up shortly to get a bit bit more on that story. But yeah, obviously, sad news and one that's being reacted to massively. Um, the Raiders on the other side of things after their performance in London. I, I mean, it was a team that I saw that were in utter disarray. I just honestly, no identity at all. Inability to protect Derek Carr. He was hit six times. He was sacked six times, hit a bunch more than that. Should have been eight sacks if it wasn't for penalties on top of that. And, and 
Gruden, from the moment he arrived on Friday, made it pretty clear that he did not want to be in London. Yeah, and which is such a strange approach for a coach who like talks about being you know a hard ass and more tough and you know no obstacles. And you're right, he kind of made it obvious that he didn't like the whole idea of being there. And I get it, you're giving up a home game; it's disrupting your schedule. But get over it. I, now that I've I've read between the lines a little bit more on Derek Carr's injury, where he had a shoulder injury that he played through. I think there's a lot going on here uh, in that organization behind the scenes, and I think that was maybe part of the reason Gruden was so dour. And you're seeing a combination, not just of Derek Carr's injury, but he, he's not a good quarterback when pressured. And, and I know that sounds like silly who what quarterback is, but he's particularly poor when he's pressured versus when he's not, and he is not handling it well this year. Sorry, sorry. What quarterback's good when pressured? Was that the question you asked? Uh, no, because CJ Bethard. Uh, sorry, I was oh, just going to say CJ okay. Bethard on blitzes tonight is nine of ten for 185 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> I just flashed up on my screen. So just saying, some quarterbacks are very good under pressure. <laughs> All right, true. I'm going to give you a true or false statement. Uh, true or false? The best two games quarterbacked by uh, a San Francisco 49er this year are both by C.J. Beathard. His first start in this one, too, tonight. He's playing better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Do we have a controversy here? (laughs) I'm not sure we're going to go that far quite yet, but it's fascinating that after the the Giants' performance uh, this week, I I put out the idea that me and Ollie did a podcast on Friday and, and had the conversation of, you know, is he down there amongst the worst starters in the NFL right now uh, at quarterback and a lot of people came back with Case Keenum a lot of people came back with uh, uh, with CJ Beathard and I was like well, hold on that's not what I've seen at all apart from the fact that if he was behind the Giants offensive line he'd be on IR within about 10 minutes the way that he <laughs> puts his body on the line other than that I, I, I think he's actually been really good and it's an interesting conversation about how much that Shanahan system and how much it's, it's his performances but Shanahan picked him so you know, he's, it, maybe we shouldn't be so down on the 49ers like I have been for about the last three weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. They they tripled the Cardinals yardage last week and still lost that game. So, that, you know, they were a little unlucky. But it, it does go to show what, what a great coach Kyle Shanahan is. And I think seeing a guy that he drafted in the same round that he drafted Kirk Cousins before Kirk Cousins uh, was developed into a really good starter. And they have a lot of similar characteristics. And I posed the question, you know, at the beginning of this game, I'd like to see what happens if Kyle Shanahan had Mike McCarthy's offensive roster and Mike McCarthy had Kyle Shanahan's uh, offensive roster because this game would be about 73 to nothing right now in in favor of Shanahan. (laughs) I think one of the main things from that interview, Greg Rosenthal on TalkSport with you, obviously the, the game Monday Night Football was going on and he said, he came out with, if, um, if, Mike McCarthy wasn't in charge of Rodgers. If Shanahan was, Green Bay would be 73 points to nothing up in this game. I know that's a bit of an exaggeration, but he's got a point, isn't he? It's Sherry-level hyperbole, but they are... I I I really got into this with some people on Twitter on, on Tuesday morning. Honestly... Aaron Rodgers, everything there is being wasted by the play calling and by the coaching there. I'm so sick of it at this yep. point. 
Uh, I just, it's horrible to see. The talent difference between them and the 49ers is so stark. And are you telling me that if in the last three or four off-seasons, if they hadn't made the decision there and then to get rid of... um, to get rid of Mike McCarthy, that the attraction of going to a legendary franchise like the Packers to work with Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have attracted uh, Sean McVay or wouldn't have attracted Josh McDaniels or wouldn't have attracted Kyle Shanahan to take that job over over either staying where they were or moving to where they now are. Like, the Packers would have been a much more attractive uh, choice than the Rams or the 49ers for those two. It would have lured someone like Josh McDaniels when he wasn't willing to leave the Patriots to go to the Colts. They need a really good offensive-minded coach. And uh, they've lo- they've missed out on a couple of great ones. They have. And Aaron Rodgers is struggling with what he's been dealt with coaching and play calling wise some of the and we're still seeing it and I moaned about it last week the week before where there are either little check downs or the obvious up the gut runs on first down and it's just leaving him with too much to do on third down and we saw it I think at at one point they were 0-8 on third down which is absolutely ridiculous. It got better. I think it ended ended up in four and fourteen on third down, maybe a bit better than that. But it was it was abysmal all night. The defense didn't turn up, and I think it was just by sure will Aaron Rodgers's will, maybe a favor favorable call for um, defensive holding or defensive contact uh, from Richard Sherman in that final drive, and then Mason Crosby banishing last week. I think Green Bay were actually lucky to win this game. Which is amazing because whilst there was there are things to like about the 49ers' performance, Breeder is a great player. George Kittle is a really great player. Bethard has proven why when I tweeted the Eli Manning thing last week and people came to me about CJ Bethard, I was like, no, actually watch him play. He's a better quarterback than four or five of the other starting quarterbacks in the league right now. Like, there are... There are reasons to be very cheerful as a 49ers fan. And I know last year my whole rhetoric was, before we got the Jimmy Garoppolo trade done, we're losing games tight against good teams and looking to get a high pick. Isn't this the perfect season? It's happening again. I can't have it happen too much longer, but I can tolerate this year with the number of injuries we've had, only winning two, three, four games, but getting a really high draft pick and knowing that we might be able to go out and get someone like... um, Nick Bosa or someone like that, someone who can Mm. make a real impact, although another defensive lineman taken at the top of the draft might be a little excessive, but, you know, a really high-end corner, a really high-end wide receiver if there's one in this draft. You know, we could end up getting a really high-end lineman. We could end up getting... There's so many other things that we could sort ourselves out that I'm more than positive enough on this uh, team right now that I'm not worrying about it. we we also we said we'd talk about Sunday Night Football. I know we mentioned it briefly with Greg, but there were two things I wanted to mention from it, which is one, the Dante Hightower pick, which he did an interview on the Peter King podcast this week from the locker room. And it just showed me yet again why that team is so good at being able to deal with things like rookie quarterbacks with high-octane offences because they know how to throw something at a team that's just a bit of a different look, something they've not seen before, and get a result from it. But what impressed me most about that play 
was that play came before the big Kansas City Chiefs comeback. Mm. And if you are someone like Pat Mahomes and you've had something like that happen to you and you're a rookie and it's the, the first time you've seen a defense do something like that to you, it's so easy to go back into your shell. It's so easy as a team to go back into your shell. And whatever was said at halftime, Andy Reid kicked that team's ass. They turned it around. And, you know, Peter King was also saying he was there at the game. And he said what was amazing to him is that sometimes when you see teams in these narrow losses, they're coming off the field and they're effing and jeffing and they're kicking things and they're angry that they've Sorry, lost. Peter King said effing and jeffing. Uh, he said something along of that nature, yeah. Amazing, brilliant. <laughs> um, I'm sure it wasn't effing and jeffing. I have paraphrased, obviously. But, um, yeah, essentially said that the Chiefs were cool. They were fine. And they handled it professionally. And they were pleased with their second-half performance. And they were ready to move on and tackle the next. And that level of patriot-type cool, mm. I think, is going to serve them really well going forward. So I don't think we're going to see the collapse of collapse of last season that's for sure yeah I don't think so all of their Sonia Michelle's looking really good and managed to get Rob Gronkowski rolling a bit and Tom Brady being Tom Brady they're just so well coached that I don't think there's anything to worry about and from the Kansas City Chiefs point of view again it, it was offensively brilliant for them and they know they know what they need to do to fix their defense which is just get better just get better because at the moment their defense is is dreadful but if you can put up 40 points away at Foxborough under the lights you know you're going to beat most other teams if you're going to play like that on offense regardless of what you do on defense so I shouldn't think that they'll be too worried about losing either uh, let's um let's just quickly preview Thursday night football the Arizona Cardinals uh are- facing off with the Denver Broncos in Arizona. The Broncos are Oof. tiny favourites in this, one-and-a-half-point favourites in this. Um, it's, it's, bless them, the Broncos have, uh, have called this game on their own website when previewing it, do-or-die football. Um, I think that's maybe misunderstanding where they are at this point. OK, at two and four, they could make a playoff run. But from, uh, from the fact they've already lost two home games... From the fact that Case Keenum has looked like actually the worst quarterback in football. Sorry, Eli Manning, you've moved all the way up to 31. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, and the, the fact they can't tackle. They've given up a 200-yard rusher in the last two games. And I wouldn't be stunned if David Johnson goes over, over 200 yards from scrimmage in this one. No, something's gone wrong with that line. Um, I think... Von Miller is getting double teamed and he can't then get the pressure to the quarterback or or um, to the running back either. So something's gone wrong defensively. Offensively, I know you're saying Case Keenum hasn't played well, and he hasn't. But the what was fun and interesting about them at the beginning of the season has kind of fallen away almost ever since Philip Lindsay knocked himself out of that game throwing a punch a couple of se- a couple of weeks ago and they haven't used him or uh, Foreman as as well and they haven't looked as as interesting the only kind of saving grace is that they still have Emmanuel Sanders who had a really good game last week and is still making plays and almost carrying this offense by himself it's it's such a tough game to call Again, it's the classic. Oh, if it was at uh, Denver, I'd pick Denver. But the Arizona Cardinals aren't a, aren't a good football team. I still don't believe in Josh Rosen, despite what what he's been doing and some other people have been saying about him. 
I, I think it's a, a case of two pretty bad football teams, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was 17 to 14, something like that. Yeah, I mean, and that might make for an okay game, but I am going to take the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I will take the Arizona Cardinals, I believe, in David Johnson. I'm going to go and do it on Gridiron Magazine right now. I should do it because I keep forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) Head to gridiron-magazine.com, go to play, and then go to our weekly pick'em game. There is like uh, a league table for the whole season. I was up there in the top five or six when I last checked. I haven't checked recently. Um, Oh, there's some people got like 14, 13 wins this week, including Sherry, who got 12. Dang it. I have probably fallen right away at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm on 60 points. I'm sat in ninth, five off the lead, but um, that's make-upable. But I the, reckon um, I'm last. I the, reckon I'm on the last page, honestly. <laughs> I'm dreadful at this. Oh, Sherry's only a game back on me now. That's concerning. Uh, oh, I need to get this right. But the point is, if you do it weekly, you can win prizes with, um, with Football America. So uh, you can win hats and... and jerseys and all sorts of bits and pieces so uh if you go and play you could win some stuff that's the main thing we're saying um ollie before we get the uh, the odds on thursday night football any final thoughts do you know what mate I, d- I don't think so no final thoughts for me it's been a long long day watching a rain delay and then a 21 a t21 cricket match so i'm ready to sack off the paddy power birthday party and just go home uh, obviously, they are the, not a good betting company, which is why you don't want to go to their company. That's the why. you are are our friends at Skybet. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Let's get our Thursday night football odds with Jacob from Skybet. Right. Joining us now to take a look forward to Thursday night football, a few other things as well. Jacob joins us from Skybet. Uh, Jacob, let's start off with Thursday night football. Cardinals, Broncos. This is one of those kind of games where I, I'm kind of reticent to to go anything on the uh, uh, based on the winners markets because this feels like a real coin flip game to me yeah absolutely and we saw obviously with last week's request to bet you had some success used without picking a winner in the game I think that's it's probably a good shout again this week we've got two teams that have maybe their record almost doesn't reflect how they've played. And the Cardinals played very poorly at the start, don't get me wrong, but they've looked a lot a lot better in the last two games despite the fact that they've maybe not put it on the board. And I'd say the same with the Broncos. I felt they almost almost should have won that Chiefs game where they played really well, but they've just they just couldn't stop them in, in the end. So what I am fancying is uh, the Broncos have given up a 200-yard rusher the last two weeks. It's been a big point of contention. We saw uh, Von Miller answering questions rather saltily on it. Uh, So I'm wondering, David Johnson hasn't had the impact that I think a lot of fantasy owners had hoped he would have, but we know he's got a lot of talent. He's also very good at catching the ball out of the backfield. So simply, my request about this week is David Johnson, 200 scrimmage yards against the uh, Broncos. Yeah, so we've got that up at eight to one now. I think, yeah, you're right, exactly right about the, the Broncos' defense. It's it's been really lacking in run defense, like you say. Isaiah Crowell, two hundred two hundred plus rushing yards. Tuck early the same, and they both managed to get into the end zone as well. So I think if you're the Cardinals and you've been struggling a little bit passing the ball, Josh Rosen's come in. He's played. Okay, but he's, the last game against the Vikings was the first game he threw for more than 200 yards. So if 
you feel like you might struggle to to push the ball down the field through the air, then I I'd be just leaning on David Johnson as it's clearly a weakness for this for this Broncos defense and it's clearly a strength for your offense. Now, obviously, the uh, the London game's back in town this weekend. Uh, it's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers against the Tennessee Titans. For me, this was the game I was most excited about on paper, but the um, certainly the, the Titans laying an egg against the Ravens has me a little concerned. What are the markets looking like for this one? So the Chargers starting out favourites, as you would probably expect. They're currently sitting at 4-11, to 11. For, to, for the game, the handicap's at six and a half points, and the total points line is 46. I think you're right. I, I almost feel like the, the Titans being on TV against the Ravens and and not scoring has maybe sucked a little bit of the excitement out of the air for this game, because I did think the Titans were on a, on a decent roll at the moment. But the Chargers, at the moment, I think are always flying under the radar, a little bit shadowed by the Chiefs, who have obviously done really, really well in that division. But the only two losses the Chargers have had have been to the Chiefs and the Rams, which now when you look at the picture, is almost excusable. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And so I really like the Chargers for this weekend. Uh, I just think that Titans offense, they had that one really good performance against the Eagles, but otherwise haven't fired all season. And I don't. And the Chargers defense is getting better week on week, plus after London they get Joey Bosa back. So, uh, I, yeah, I, that's definitely uh, who I fancy is the Chargers in that one. Um, now, you've been doing this, uh, I noticed this other market on Skybet at the weekends, the kind of um, the touchdown scorers for the 6 and the 9 p.m. games. What's all that about? Yeah, so every week we have two what we call touchdown trebles. So we pick three touchdown scorers in the 6 p.m. games, three touchdown scorers in the 9 p.m. games, and we take those three, combine them, and give them a boost. So in the past two weeks, we've had plenty of winners. So in week four... If you'd have been on the 6 p.m. ones, which was Kareem Hunt, Saquon Barkley, and Antonio Brown, that was boosted from 72 to 13 to 2. That was a winner. And then in the 9 p.m. games, we had Todd Gurley, Adam Thielen, Melvin Gordon, and that was boosted from 3 to 1 to 5 to 1. And that actually won as well. So we had two winners in one day. And then this week, just gone, if you were on the 9 p.m. one, you had Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Alex Collins, three starting running backs. That was seven to two to thirteen to two, and that was a winner as well. I think we've had five winning trebles in the first six weeks, and it's something we do every single week. We have a six pm one and a nine pm one, so look out for those. Some really good boosts there as well. Um, and then finally, the, the London game the week after is Jags Eagles, two teams who are favourites in their divisions, but struggling so far on the season. So, uh, what are those two divisions, the AFC South and the NFC East, looking like at the moment? So we'll start with the AFC South. It's a division that's moved around quite a lot from the start. When we were going into the season, you could tell the market wasn't really sure were the Jags favourites, were the Texans favourites. Everybody was expecting the Sean Watson to come back and maybe light it up. The Jags then obviously started fairly well. They beat the Patriots and they got quite short. So they're now sitting at 6-5, but they've been slowly kind of drifting out the past two weeks as they've not played as well especially this week against the Cowboys, which was not a great performance by any means. Then you've got the Texans, who started, like we said, at 7-4. Then, after the first few weeks, drifted all the way out to 8-1, to because they were really playing poorly. They're now back into 2-1 to after a couple of victories. Um, 
Then you've got the Titans, who we were talking about just just now. They started off relatively well, but this week's uh, this week's loss without scoring has pushed them back out of slightly. So they're now sitting at five to two. And then at the, at the back of the pack, you've got the Indianapolis Indianapolis Colts at twenty to one. And as for the NFC East, the Eagles were short price favourites coming into the season. As we saw with the Super Bowl betting, they were they were second foul for the Super Bowl. And they've obviously started off really poorly with Nick Foles. Now Carson Wentz has come in, they're playing they are playing better, but it's still a case of they don't look quite the team they were last year. So they're sat still at favourites at six to five now. The Cowboys again, it's almost what Cowboys team are you going to get each week? One week they look like they've got not much on offense, and then the next week they're putting up 40-plus on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are supposed to have one of the better defenses in the league. So they started out 9-2, to two, they're now 9-4. to four. The Washington Redskins, they started out 8-1, to one, and they're now 5-2. to two. You're, again, getting a different team each week. One week they look really good and dominant. The next week they go and play the Saints and they look not even in the same league. So I think with these teams, one, you just it, whoever wins this division, it almost seems like it would be by default and that in other divisions they'd probably come third. And the Giants are definitely in that category for sure, sat at the back now at 40-1. to one. Barclays looked really, really good, but... There's just too many other holes, it seems, on that team right now. Uh, Jacob, brilliant stuff as always. Of course, remember, terms and conditions out on the Skybet website. It is over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly.